Welcome to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a stimulating discussion of news and humor from a Jewish perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rabbi Mendy. Thank you so much for being with us on this Sunday schmooze. I feel like it's been ages ago since we've been together, and we only missed one week, and I appreciate all those who reached out, some asking why we didn't do it last week, some saying, you go, Rabbi, take the day off. Um, Simply put, it was... Really crazy right after the holidays. Finished an amazing Simchas Torah. All the kids were home. All the kids, Sans, Mushki, and her husband, Shmuli. But everyone else was home. And for a truly amazing Simchas Torah. And then Shabbos Bereshis. And then we had to pack everyone up and get them back to their respective yeshivas in Toronto and in Cincinnati and in New Haven. And it's not such an easy feat. You know, some people have to send away one child, you know, somewhere. But getting each child to their destination is both a challenge and one that we uh, uh, enjoy. But nonetheless, a challenge, but a challenge that needs to be overcome. You know, trying to get someone into Canada, for example. Not so easy. I know it sounds easy. But the visa process and the corona process and the, whether it's a bus or a plane or a train, um, every day there's a new law, a new rule, a new navigation. So um, calling it a challenge was putting it lightly. But now we're back uh, better than ever. I have standing by right here, Khani, who was ready to help us kick off the show with uh, words of prayer and thanksgiving for all that we have already and all that we'll get in the course of this show. Hopefully, by the end of the show, you will be that much more thankful for the things we have and ready to take on a better and greater week ahead. So we'll start first with the blessing on the Torah because always before we study Torah, we need to say the blessing on it. Hani, take it away. Let's do it slow so everyone can try to follow along with you. But wait, wait, wait. I forgot to remind all the guys. Put a yarmulke on your head. If you don't have a yarmulke handy, grab a shmata or even take your hand 
uh, use your left hand. So that way when we say Shema, you can cover your eyes with your right hand. Okay? Now that you got your head covered, let's uh, begin the bracha, the blessing on the Torah. You all know this blessing. Go ahead. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Malach Olam Asher Bachar Banu Mikol Hamim V'nasan Lanu Roser Asai Baruch Atah Adonai Naizena Torah Very good. Okay. And now, let's cover our eyes with our right hand. And let's say together the first two lines of Shema, loud and slow. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevayd Malchusai Elam Va'et And you said you wanted to sing a song. Now we have to give a coin to Tzedakah, right? So there's a big, I'm going to go around the desk over there. Studio 34 is uh, getting cramped up right in in that bowl right there. You have the coins. Perfect. See, I always keep coins on my desk. So that way, not only do we have a coin here to put in the pushka every Sunday, but indeed, every day, thank you, Hani, every day we should put in a coin in the pushka so that um, we start our day in a more charitable way. So I hope you did that too. Took a coin, put in the pushka, but also set up that you should have coins on your desk or in your kitchen so that anytime you're feeling it, you can put a coin in the pushka. And always, always before you do a mitzvah, before you light Shabbos candles, before you put on tefillin, before you um, make a bracha, always put a coin in the pushka. Um, we're going to make a bracha on a drink. If you have a drink, hold it in your hand and say it together with me. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Ha'olam Shehakol Nihiya Bidvaro. Now, in our davening, in our prayers every day, we always start off with a special declaration. The declaration is the words in Hebrew, but I'll say it in English. I hereby take upon myself the positive commandment to love your fellow as yourself. See, because there's nothing greater for a parent than to see their children getting along with each other. So before we start asking God for the things we need, we tell God, we make this declaration announcing that I'm taking upon myself that mitzvah. Obviously, I take upon myself all of the mitzvahs and do them as best I can. But before I'm going to ask God for my needs, I want to make sure he knows that us, me and my siblings, in other words, every single one of us, are getting along with each other. I love every single Jew and therefore, we say it every morning, the prayer, Hareini. So I'm going to ask Chani to do word for word. For, can you do that? For Hareini. And everyone will repeat after you from their homes. And then I got this great song by Benny Friedman in Hebrew and in English on the words of Hareini Mekabel. So you're going to be ready for that really exciting song. But before we do um, 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 Benny Friedman, 
I have this French singer who does it very simply and very succinctly. So we'll play first the French singer, then Benny, and then we'll be back. But first, of course, Khani before she runs off to Hebrew school. Go ahead. Now, I called him a French singer because I don't know his name. But I'll find out his name at some point. Here we go. And now Benny Friedman, his Hebrew and his English, enjoy.
You often hear me speak on our Shmooz program about the Torah portion. The reason we do this actually comes from a Hayom Yom, a book that Rebbe wrote in 1943, which has a listing for every day of the year, a saying, an insert, kind of like a diary, which every, and every day it has something of relevance to that day. Most amazingly is that those sayings that the Rebbe chose to place into this book, Hayom Yom, didn't just have relevance in 1943 and 1944 when it was printed and produced, but rather we find uncanny similarities to events going on in our own lives every year when I study it anew. So each day I read another uh, saying for that day and I find, wow, this was amazing that I read this today. And I may have told you the story in the past and I'll tell it to you shortly again, a great story of exactly that point. So I'll begin by, by reading from one of the um, Hayom Yoms, which is why we talk about the portion of the week and how it relates and is relevant to each of us every single day. So the Rebbe Rashab once told over an incident that happened. That once in the first years as the Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe declared, and I'll say it in Yiddish, Membadarf Leben mit der Zeit, which means we must live with the times. The Yiddish word for the day, Zeit. Zeit means time, or in this case, the times. And obviously, in my words, he did not mean the New York Times. The Hasidim weren't sure what he did mean. What did he mean by we have to live with the times? So they asked his brother, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, to find out. He was also known as the Maharil. They asked him to find out what was the Alter Rebbe's intent when he said we have to live with the times. And he went and asked his brother, the Alter Rebbe, and he came back and told everyone that we must live with the Torah portion of the week and more specifically, the Torah portion of the current day. You see, the Torah portion, as we all know, is broken up into seven parts. Every Shabbos, we call up seven different people to have an Aliyah. And we read the portion broken up into seven different parts. So we have to live with the Torah portion, but not just with the Torah portion, but rather with the Torah portion that we're studying that day. Because Part number one that we're going to read on Shabbos, we're supposed to study today on Sunday. Part number two that we're going to read on Shabbos, we're supposed to study tomorrow on Monday. Every day of the week, we're supposed to study the next part. So this, for instance, this coming Shabbos is the portion of Lech Lecha, when Abraham was sent on his way. And every single day, we're supposed to live with the portion of that day and he concluded it's not enough to study the segment of the weekly Torah portion every day which obviously we should do 
but we must live with it. That was the Hayom Yom earlier this week, at the end of last week. I'm looking at the dates of, of the uh, Hebrew calendar. So it was actually last week um, on the second day of Cheshvin. Um, and then here's, here's a really cool one. You see, what happens here every week is that we have our, our schmooze program on Sunday morning. So while I try to study the section of the Chumash, the, the Torah portion, each day closer to the morning, it happens often, especially if I'm preparing for the schmooze program, that I don't get to study today's portion till later in the afternoon. So oftentimes, I'll talk more about last week's portion and the lessons we gleaned from last week's portion, what we read on Shabbos or we read during the week, then I might, for the coming week's portion, which is, in this case, this week's is Lech Lecha, last week is Noach, which is the portion of Noah. But here's an interesting Hayom Yom, which puts the last, the last two portions and this week's portion into one big Hayom Yom. And I'll tell you the story that I said earlier I was going to tell you that I may have said in the past, okay? Rabbi Chase Taub says that speakers only have a limited number of stories in their repertoire. And they hope that the people they tell the stories to are either different audiences, or at the very least, they spread out the stories over a far enough distance so that the people who heard the story the first time forget it by the time they say it the second time. Or as Rabbi Jacobson likes to say, when it comes to telling a joke, you can tell the joke once every three years because people really remember jokes and it takes about three years for people to forget a joke. When it comes to telling a story, he says, ah, oh, that you can do every um, two years or so. Because, again, stories stick with people um, for a longer period of time. However, he says, when it comes to telling over words of Torah, he says you can say it three times in the same exact um, speech and people still won't notice that you said it three times. Which reminds me about a Texas rancher there was once visiting in Israel, he was visiting a farmer. It was during the year of Shemitah, like this year, so the farmer didn't have much to do. But it was just the beginning of the year, and the proud Israeli farmer was showing the uh, Texas rancher around his farm. He said, here's where I grow tomatoes, here's where I grow cucumbers and squash. Over there, he points, is where I built a playset for my kids, right next to the doghouse, and the farmer is showing him around his farm. The land that the Israeli farmer was showing was tiny. And the Texan was completely surprised by the small size and how the Israeli was so excited to tell him about his farm. And he expected it to be much bigger, the amount of produce that he was talking about, you know, that he produced from his farm. So he says to the, to the Israeli farmer, is this all your land? He says, yes, yes, this is all mine. It's all mine. And again, the, 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 the Texan says to him, you mean this is it? This is all of it? Again, the Israeli says, yes, yes, this is really all mine. Well, said the Texan to the Israeli, back home in Texas, I'd get into my car before the sun would rise 
and I drive my car and drive and drive and drive. And when the sun would set, I'd only be about halfway across my land. To which the, the Israeli replied with sympathy, he says, Oh yes, oh yes, I understand. I used to have a car just like that. Bada boom. So in another Hayom Yom this week, the Rebbe talks about the three Torah portions. I got a phone call about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago from a, a person in the community just this week. In fact, it was, it was uh, the, the, the night that the Hayom Yom I'm going to read for you in a moment. And he says to me, you know, I really don't like the portion of Lech Lecha. It turns out that when he was in Hebrew school, something with that portion, the teacher made them do some sort of exercise with this week's portion. And because of that, he had this trauma about um, this Torah portion. In fact, that's why I encourage all of you to register your children or your grandchildren to the Chabad Hebrew school because the children who go to Rachi's Chabad Hebrew school have no trauma from any of their past studies. They enjoy every single moment of their studies at Chabad Hebrew school. So he said, I, I, I have trauma about this portion. I hate the portion of Lech Lecha. As he said that, I remembered that I just read the Hayom Yom the night before and I pulled out the Hayom Yom and I read it to him. We were on the phone and it goes as follows. The first portion of the book of the Torah is Bracious. And the Rebbe says, that's a happy Parsha. Why is it a happy Parsha? I'm uh, adding. Because there's the creation of the world, all the things that happened during the first six days, then the, the creation of Shabbos and rest. Those are all beautiful, happy things. However, the conclusion of the Parsha is not so pleasant. Why isn't it so pleasant? At the end of the portion of Bereshus, there's the part where it starts talking about how the creations that God created started becoming deviant and immoral and started um, falling apart. Then the Rebbe continues, Noach, which is the next Parsha, is the portion of the flood, the destruction of the world. So obviously, that begins in a very sad note. But the end of the week, the Rebbe says, is very cheerful. Why is the end of the week cheerful, the Rebbe says? Because our patriarch Abraham, Avraham Avinu, was born. Now that is joyful. And the Rebbe concludes, the really joyful week is this week, the week of Lech Lecha. For throughout the entire week, we live with Abraham. And Abraham was the first person, the first human being to utterly devote his life to proclaiming God's existence in the world. And this ideal that he was able to go on self-sacrifice to proclaim God's name to the world, he bequeathed as an inheritance to all of his descendants, all of the Jewish people. I finished reading this Hayom Yom to this person on the phone who up until then had um, trauma from the portion of Lech Lecha and he was silent for like 30 seconds. And he goes, I can't believe that. I can't believe that Rebbe said that. It transforms my whole feeling about this Parsha. To which I responded because it happened in 2013. So it was 70 years after the Rebbe wrote that saying in 1943. I said to him, 
Can you imagine that? In 1943, when the Rebbe wrote those words, he knew that you and I would be on the phone today, on the day that he inserted that note into the book Hayom Yom, and that we will be talking, and you're going to tell me how you are traumatized by this portion, and that the Rebbe's words will transform that trauma to joy. So now you can appreciate the portion of Lech Lecha. So now you know why I try to incorporate the weekly Torah portion into our lives so that we can appreciate how everything God does, did and does, is to help us live a more, not more, but a better life using the words and inspiration that come from the weekly Torah portion and from the daily part that we study each day. Talking about the part that we study each day, well, today is the first day of the week of Lech Lecha, and we study the portion where God tells Abraham, Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha means go out, leave, go out of the land of Israel, go forth from your land. So, to, to jump on to one more insert of the Hayom Yom of this week, the Rebbe Rashab once told one of his students that from the time, from the moment that God told Abraham, go forth from your land, Lech Lecha, and he, and he continues, what did Abraham do? Abraham journeyed on, continuing to, to travel southward. The special mission of the Jew began. That mission is known in Kabbalistic terms. And the Hebrew word of the day brought to you by the Armenians, Avodas Habirurim. The idea of sifting through material, material, materiality. Peter, help me out with this one. It's sifting through material existences and elevating the divine spark that's within every single permissible entity. And, that, and our job is to uplift it by using them for a spiritual purpose. Kabbalah says that every one of us has that job. And that began the moment that God told Abraham to travel, go forth from your land, and that Abraham began to journey on. And the Hayom Yom continues. So being that we have this decree by God that a person has to find the sparks, the godly sparks within every single entity. So a person travels to the place where that spark, the spark that needs to be elevated through this person, and it awaits for him to come and elevate it. Every single one of us, when we go to a place and we find a physical entity that we know has a spiritual spark, a godly spark in it, that our task Specifically, of, I mean, the task of everybody, but specifically of the Jewish people, is to locate those sparks and elevate them, bring them up, bring out the godliness within the spark. And we've all been given this mission, this mission 
within God's great world of refining the material aspects of the world. Every morsel of food that we eat, every garment that we wear, every penny that we earn, and every object that we acquire, we can use for the service of God. And when we do, we reveal the divine spark <clears throat> within that object and reveal the purpose for its creation. Can you imagine that? So God created so many things within this world. And it's up to us. When we get to a certain place to take a piece of kosher food and eat it, and when you do that, you elevate the food. And when you go to work and you make money, and then you take some of that money and you give it to charity, you've now elevated not just the money you earned, but also your place of work, your place of employment gets elevated as well. And your car that gets you to your place of employment gets elevated. All by taking the things that we have and using them for a godly purpose, we elevate it. And each and every one of us has that responsibility to go to a place and say a blessing. Boom, you elevated that place. You have a chance to eat kosher food and you choose to eat the kosher food, boom, you elevated the food and the place where it is that you ate it. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, shortly. But the Rebbe continues in Ayom Yom. The righteous, the most righteous people, those who are gifted with a, you know, a forward vision, they can perceive where their sparks wait for them, being that every single one of us has a place, has a spark that we need to elevate. So righteous people know where that is and they go straight there. They go to those places and they elevate the sparks in those places. But for common people, like me and you, at least me, I'm sure you're much greater than a common person. Or like my friend likes to say, for a regular guy. For a regular guy, God puts into motion a whole train of events and circumstances that will bring a certain person to a particular place where he is duty-bound to fulfill his specific task of sifting the material and elevating its spark that's in it. So you can imagine that. I like to jump to a, a simple example. doesn't happen often, but it happens. You plan to be in one place and you end up somewhere else. Your flight to LA was canceled because of a snowstorm and now you can only get onto a flight that's going to drop you in Chicago and you got to stay there overnight and then get, continue on to California the next day. Well, you don't have snowstorms in California and Los Angeles. But whatever, you get my drift. You, you, you have a plan to be in, in one place and you end up somewhere else. You can be frustrated. You can be angry, feeling dejected. Why did I end there? Why did God do this to me? God doesn't like me. Or you can say, no, there's a purpose for me to be here. I'm here for a purpose. And that purpose is to elevate this place. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to find the kosher food and make a blessing. I'll go look around, see if there's someone I can assist. I'll put on tefillin right here in the airport, whatever it takes. I know I have a mission. I have sparks to elevate. So let's not get bogged down. The lesson from today's Torah portion is that wherever we go, 
especially us as Jews, wherever we go, there's something to elevate, a person to inspire, or even better, to inspire ourselves. I had an interesting conversation this week. You know, oftentimes, thankfully, we have an amazing community, and people donate money to help Chabad do what we do. Some people donate for a specific cause, like for this Shmooz program. There are people who donate weekly or monthly towards the program. There are people who donate towards scholarship fund to help Jewish kids go to uh, Hebrew school or to the day school. There are people who donate towards a Kiddush. And then there are people who donate to the Chabad operating budget, the general fund. We call that the no-strings-attached donations. That's not for any specific purpose, just to keep Chabad running. Now, when it comes to donations, Jews always look for good numbers as a good omen. They look for numbers. For instance, what is a famous number? A famous number is 18. 18 is Chai. Or 28, which is Yechi. What do these things even mean? So every Hebrew word has a numerical value. And chai, which means life, or yechi, he should live, has numerical values. Chai equals uh, 18, yechi equals 28, and various other variations of many different words that people find fascinating when they give charity. And if you look at our website, when you go to gatchabad.com forward slash donate, you'll find there numbers of people to donate. One of the very special numbers is the number 770. 770 is obviously the address to the Rebbe's shul, the headquarters of Chabad in New York, 770 Eastern Parkway. But there are many other reasons that the number 770 are special. For instance, someone who takes part in the Chabad Club, wants to become a member in the Chabad Club, gives a minimum donation of 2 times 770 over the course of the year. No strings attached donations. And then they become part of the Chabad Club. The Chabad Club is a group of individuals who want to make sure that Chabad is successful and want to take part in it, either as a one lump sum donation or donating every single month um, to take part. It's, it's very simple. It's a minimum donation of $130 a month. You become a member in the Chabad Club. And it's because of people like you that Chabad is able to continue doing the things we do. And if you want to join the Chabad Club, please go to our website, um, gachabad.com, and click on the link for the Chai Club or the Chabad Club, and you could take part in this as well. But that wasn't the point of this conversation. The conversation was, this person was donating two times 770. And he says, you know, typically, if you give two times 18, you get chai, and then you get double chai. If you give three times, you're giving $54, you get triple chai. So what is it, 770? What I want it to be, you know, something special other than just the number two times 770. So I told him an interesting word 
that is very connected to Chabad. It's almost the theme or the anthem. Like, you know, you have the national anthem, you have the Chabad anthem of Chabad. Who knows what song that is? The song is Ufa Ratzda. Ufa Ratzda, Ufa Ratzda, Ufa Ratzda, Ufa Ratzda, right? It talks about the fact that the Jewish people are spread to all parts of the world, to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south. <clears throat> and that song became kind of the theme song for Chabad because Ufaratsta, the word Ufaratsta doesn't just mean spreads out, but also means burst forth. And the objective that the Rebbe wants us to do is to burst forth, spread out into new places and new uh, venues where up until then, Yiddishkeit was dormant or non-existent. And to expand and explode the chances for people to be connected to their Yiddishkeit. And so Ufratzda became the motto of Chabad. And here's a really cool point. That Ufratzda is the numerical value of 770. So you can donate Ufratzda. Or you could donate double paratsta, not only to burst forth in that translation of Ufaratsta, but also to expand and spread out to every segment of our sphere of influence. Each and every one of us has a sphere of influence to our east, to our west, to our north, to our south. And each and every one of us can be a light, an inspiration to all those around us. Ufaratsta. So when he made his donation online, he, like I said, he went to gachabad.com forward slash donate. So right there, he put it in, and then in the comments, he wrote, this is double Ufaratsta, and then and then added a link, a YouTube link, to somebody singing Ufaratsta. Now, it's not our regular song Ufaratsta, but it's a nice song. And I say, you know what? I'm going to play it on the show this week. So enjoy Baruch Levine's Ufaratsta.
Great song. Thank you, Anonymous Friend, for sharing that with me so that I can uh, play it here on our Schmooze program. So, you know, I'm not a builder. I took part in building um, at Chabad, but Baruch Hashem, we had amazing real builders that built the Chabad house, the beautiful Chabad house that we have today. Thank you, Yaakov Meir. Thank you, Raziel Shimshin. And all those that have helped out I would be remiss if not mentioning, uh, you know, Carlo Molinari, Oliver Shalom, who took part. God should bless his soul. But we had a good group of people because if they relied on me to build the Chabad house, it would probably take me as long as it took um, Noah to build his ark. You see, Noah was told to build an ark. You know, it was a building, you know, it was about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. So if it was me building it, I don't know, I would have to go to uh, Home Depot and buy a book about how to, uh, how to uh, you know, ho- do home improvements, and still I doubt I'd be able to build it. But it would take me years and years and years to do, maybe 10 years, 20 years, till I figure it all out, get the right. But for a good builder, I assume eight months to a year, they'd have something like this, Noah's Ark would be built. So why did it take Noah 120 years? That's not a mistake. 120 years. What could have taken him that long? I, there's obviously all these jokes about, uh, you know, the zoning boards and whatnot. But seriously, why did he build it all by himself um, and, and not have anyone help him? So it turns out the simple answer is because God told him, you shall build yourself an ark. So God told him build himself an ark. So he did. He built himself an ark. And it took him a really long time. But the truth is, God tells us also, just recently, we had a mitzvah to build a sukkah. And God said, you should build yourself a sukkah. Yet we never find in history that every Jew needs to build their very own sukkah. In fact, we had so many people from the community come help us build our sukkah. I didn't do it myself. My kids helped. Other people in the community came to help. We have the Kievman Construction Crew. That's me and my boys. And we help others put up their sukkah as well. Now, obviously, if I did it all by myself, that sukkah, that huge sukkah that we had outside, if I did it all by myself, it'd probably take eight months. I'd probably have to start at Hanukkah to get it done before sukkahs. But Baruch Hashem, I had the help of the kids, the help of, of Jeff and, and, and Chris and others who came to help out. My memory is, is uh, shrinking right now. Oh, um, put up the tent. We had also uh, Andrew. So plenty of people to help out. So why is it that when it comes to building a sukkah, we all build for each other or don't build a sukkah at all. You can come to my sukkah, eat in my sukkah, and you fulfill your obligation of building a sukkah by eating in my sukkah or in anyone else's sukkah. So why is it when it comes to Noah, Noah was really, there was no one to blame but himself that it took him so long. So why is it that in that case, he decided to do it by himself? So it turns out that we were told in the Torah that Noah was righteous. He was a saint. 
He lived a life that we were all supposed to live, a righteous life. But interesting, even though he was a righteous person, he wasn't chosen to be the father of the Jews, the first Jew. We had to wait to Abraham. Because Noah's attitude was, I'll do everything I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going to save the whole world. I'll do it. I'm told to build an ark, I'll build an ark. I'm told to not steal, I won't steal. I'm told to live upright, I'll live upright. I'm told to even tell people that they should repent, I'll tell them. But do I care if they repent or not? As we say in Yiddish, Yiddish word of the day brought to you by, by Kate's Financial Services, Go bang your head in the wall. It doesn't matter to me whether you do these things or not. He didn't feel that he needed to do extra. However, you take, for instance, Abraham and Moses, and you see a completely different picture. They were righteous. They were loyal to God. But when God considered destroying anybody, and if Moses, he wanted to destroy the Jewish people who served the golden calf, Moses advocated for them and he put a line in the sand. He said, if they go, I go. Moses didn't want that God should get rid of the Jewish people and he would be the new father of the new Jewish people. He felt a connection to the people and he needed them to be with him. So while Noah saw others as just others, Moses and Abraham saw others as extensions of his own soul. And he could not imagine his spiritual life without their spiritual life, their life with him. So Noah had a message intended to uplift people. But Moses' message was to bring people together. So when God told Moses that you need to build a sukkah for yourself, at that point we've been already united by our saintly forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way to Moses. So we all became one. My sukkah is your sukkah. What do we say in, in uh, Spanish? Mi casa, su casa. Mi sukkah, su sukkah. So we can build a, a sukkah and everyone can take part in our sukkah. One Jew's mitzvah is a mitzvah for the entire people. Because we're all one. Noah, on the other hand, didn't have that. He was there, he did what he was told, he was righteous, but only for himself. You know, another quick thought about Noah was the fact that he must have been a really lonely person. You know, I just mentioned that he built the ark all by himself. And while we know he was a righteous and perfect person in his generation, and the Torah tells it to us that he's a good guy. Because while the whole generation were crazy, appallingly corrupt, he managed to remain righteous. Why is it so important for the Torah to let us know how lonely Noah was, that he was the only one that was righteous? Because it took him 120 years to build the ark. Now, he may have been a, a good builder. He wasn't like me. But he didn't have you know, Lowe's or Home Depot to go buy his supplies. He didn't have a huge hangar to build his uh, monstrous of a boathouse. Every step of the process, from planting trees for lumber to actually constructing this huge boat, was in full view of everybody around him. Anyone who lived at that time knew about it. So they came and asked him, why are you building this? And he said to them, because God's bringing destruction to the world. And if you don't change your behavior, you're gonna, God's decree is going to fall on you. And if you do change your behavior, God will take his decree away. 
So other than his three sons, Noah had no companionship whatsoever. He was alone, alone in a huge world. And yet, he continued, he persisted. And because of that, eventually the flood came and then the world was rebuilt after the devastation of the flood because of Noah's courage and faith. Noah's loneliness serves as a a very empowering message to us today. You know, doing the right thing, and many of you know what I'm talking about, doing the right thing can feel very lonely. For example, you go to a conference and they're serving everyone on real china, delicious food, and you come with your little takeout containers that you know you picked up from Chabad before you left on your, your trip or you got there and you went to a Jewish restaurant and got your takeout containers and you're eating your little meal. That feels lonely. Or if you're standing in a packed airport and you know it's getting late, you have to put on your tefillin and you put it on for a few, even for a few minutes in front of all these people. That can feel lonely. Or when you choose not to go to an important sports game with your friends because it's happening on Friday night and Friday night a Jew doesn't do that, that can feel lonely. I'm sure each of you can find many examples how you as a Jew can feel lonely in a crowd. But Noah, Noah teaches us how to courageously swim against the tide, against the current and be confident in the advantages of doing the right thing even if it's unpopular. Yeah, you might get heckled by other family members, by your neighbors, by your friends, but doing the right thing is the best way to go. Now here's one, another positive thought. That Noah, who truly stuck out back then as a sore thumb amongst all of his neighbors, the entire world, today's day, a Jew is Elent. A Jew is never alone. We are part of a community of millions and thousands of years. We are the latest link in a glorious chain of all these past generations that all stood out and were, so to speak, lonely. Yes, we're definitely a minority. But when it comes to doing the right thing, numbers never matter. Where you send your children to Hebrew school, how you spend your days, how you, what you do on Shabbos, all these things matter. And just like Noah weathered the storm of social isolation in order, and that led him to, to be the presider of, of a new, refreshed world, so to us. Because the time is imminent when the light of Torah will inspire the entire humanity to live in true peace and tranquility with the arrival and the revelation of Mashiach, which will happen now. Just do it. I can't believe how quick time has flown by. And before I sign off, I want to tell you about two things that are beginning very shortly. We're going to restart our Torah studies weekly dose of inspiration that we're going to talk about the weekly Torah portion and that will help us live our week on, with the Torah, with the times, with the portion of the week. It's going to be each Thursday night, and I'm going to send out an email in a couple days with all the dates, and I hope you'll sign up and join us. We're going to have the option right now, we're still going to have the option of hybrid. You either can uh, join us in person or over Zoom, 
Also, save the date, November 4th. It's a Thursday evening, 7 p.m. The, uh, the uh, famous Mega Chalabake is going pink. And you'll be invited uh, to that as well. And we look forward to you taking part. And in the meantime, remember, your next deed will change the world. So make it a good one. L'chaim! been listening to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. For more information on the Chabad House, including upcoming events, adult programs, Hebrew school, and more, visit gotchabad.com. That's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. Shalom.